Through guidance and occasional alerts, the FDA in recent years has been trying to raise awareness among healthcare organizations and manufacturers about the importance of proactively addressing cybersecurity concerns of medical devices that could potentially pose safety concerns to patients. So what should we be watching for next from the FDA when it comes to medical device cybersecurity? I'm Marianne Kobasak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. I'm speaking with Suzanne Schwartz, Associate Director for Science and Strategic Partnerships at the FDA Center for Devices and Radiologic Health, who will describe some of the work that FDA is doing in the effort to improve cybersecurity of medical devices. So now, Suzanne, what are some of the biggest areas of progress that the FDA has been seeing in medical device cybersecurity, and where are some of the biggest gaps still? So this has been, over the past 12 months in particular, a, uh, a very encouraging time for us at FDA and really more even broadly speaking for the medical device ecosystem and the healthcare space in general. And what I mean by that is we have been seeing more and more engagement. What I mean by that is very proactive engagement by medical device manufacturers in working, whether it's with FDA, whether it's with cybersecurity researchers, with healthcare providers, towards addressing issues around medical device cybersecurity. And this kind of forward-looking and forward-thinking approach that medical device manufacturers are beginning to take on, some in particular as champions here and others definitely following suit, is an approach that we think will demonstrate some substantial change over the course of 2017 and going forward in 2018. So what are some examples of that? You know, we call out in the post-market guidance that uh, we issued as final in 2016, in December, the importance of manufacturers working in partnership, in coordination with regard to vulnerability disclosure. And in order to do so, defining disclosure policies for their organizations. So we've seen more than a glimmer of that occur over the past year. And from discussions that we have been having with manufacturers at various conferences and meetings and through their own trade organizations, we're seeing that trend continue to increase and continue to pick up. We think that that's a very, very positive development and one that will lead to greater transparency within this particular area, as well as enhancements and advances in security that will do the entire ecosystem better, including improving the safety of these devices as well. So those are the areas of of great growth. You also asked what are the challenge areas that remain, and I will say that um, we, you know, we're still faced with the legacy issue, legacy drag, which I think everyone recognizes is a very, very difficult area to expect to see very quick turnaround in. Um, It is one that will take time, but this is where the post-market guidance 
serves as that complement to what we had previously stated in our policy framework on the pre-market side in order to cover that very holistic total product lifecycle approach. So, Suzanne, as you mentioned, the post-market guidance, one thing I hear often when I speak with healthcare organizations and medical device makers, there seems to still be some confusion about how the medical device makers should go about addressing, for instance, if there's a vulnerability found in their products when it comes to cybersecurity. The medical device makers still seem somewhat confused or maybe sometimes they just falsely claim that they're not allowed to make security-related updates to their products without first getting FDA's approval. True or false? And what should they know about what they can do and at what point do they need to seek some guidance, some assistance from FDA or review for any changes that they make for products when it comes to addressing vulnerabilities that are found in legacy products. Yes, and you're touching on a subject that is near and dear to us here because we often face these, what we've now called myths. And in fact, we've produced even a fact sheet of myth busters that uh, we speak to at various meetings that we've included within our guidance and uh, that we're actually also now producing as a, a takeaway hard copy sheet just to remind the stakeholders, and that includes healthcare delivery organizations, the public, and of course our regulated industry, the medical device manufacturers, as to what can be done and to dispel those myths around whether there is an actual need to re-engage with the FDA every time an update is needed or is a vulnerability is identified on a device for which an appropriate update patch or a fix should be deployed. So let me also take one step back and say that um, we very much believe in an open door policy here and that we'll continue to underscore to medical device manufacturers that any time that there is some question or confusion or a lack of clarity around what our stance is and what our guidance states, certainly we welcome receiving those questions, whether it's picking up the phone, whether it's emailing us, whether it's coming and engaging and meeting with us in person, we'll do all of the above. Um, we similarly maintain that kind of an open welcome mat for healthcare delivery organizations or others, including researchers and other federal agencies who have questions or are not sure about what our expectations are with respect to vulnerabilities that are identified and what that process should look like with respect to making the assessment of the vulnerability, including what its impact is and what the appropriate next steps should be by way of communicating that information out, developing the appropriate mitigations, compensating controls, and whether there is or is not a need to interface with the FDA for that purpose. We were very clear about that in the post-market guidance by really categorizing the different kinds of vulnerabilities with a framework for when manufacturers 
would need to, normally speaking, engage with the FDA, what we called uncontrolled risk vulnerabilities, and we offer there, actually, a regulatory incentive not to have to do so as long as the manufacturer was going to meet specific criteria, which would include participation in an information sharing analysis organization, an ISAO, that would be specific for medical devices. But aside from that, you know, and when you come back to this idea of myths, we have said over and over again that changes that are being made solely to address cybersecurity, so these are what we call routine updates and patches, one does not need to resubmit or recertify with the FDA. What the manufacturer does need to do is to assure that the update or patch or measure that is going to be deployed is appropriately validated and is appropriately documented within the manufacturer's own records. But for those types of updates, we call those device enhancements, and the manufacturer does not need to come back to the FDA. All of this towards the direction of really not wanting to be that impediment, that roadblock that would in some ways slow down the process of advancing the security within the entire ecosystem at large. So, Suzanne, now going to the pre-market cybersecurity guidance that FDA issued in 2014, in that guidance, FDA emphasized that cybersecurity needs to be addressed during the design and development phases of medical devices by the makers. And as we know, medical devices have a long development cycle, but based on the new products that are being presented for review by FDA, is FDA seeing much progress from manufacturers when it comes to cybersecurity being addressed in the pre-market phase? And what would FDA actually look for in terms of cybersecurity when FDA assesses new products for market approval? So we are seeing a positive trajectory here as far as manufacturers addressing within their pre-market submissions for new devices, devices that have yet to go on the market that are connected or that are intended to be connected and that therefore have security-related issues associated with them, we are seeing manufacturers address the measures and the requests that we had outlined in the pre-market guidance for the appropriate type of cybersecurity risk assessment to be performed during design and development, to do that hazards analysis, to have a traceability matrix, to put all of those pieces up front and to present those as part of the pre-market submission to the agency. And I will say that in addition to Seeing that information now coming in, the level of sophistication in terms of that information is also gradually, incrementally improving. And our staff, our reviewers, will ask questions in response to the material that's received. They may be questions that are asking for clarification. They may be questions that are asking for additional information. But we are interactively going through that process, and 
we will and have held off from allowing devices, new devices, to go onto the market if we do not feel that the questions that we have related to cybersecurity are not adequately addressed to our level of satisfaction. One of the steps also that manufacturers are taking advantage of and that we very much encourage, we've had a few, already a few, more than a handful come in this past year, is the pre-submission process, which enables the manufacturer to present before they're ready to submit what would be their 510K or PMA, you know, their pre-market notification, much earlier on to present to us what is essentially their roadmap and their thinking and the way that they wish to proceed with respect to devices that are coming down the pipeline from a research perspective and to engage us early at that time so that they can make sure to integrate that input early in those stages of design development to your point about the long period that it often takes to get from design development until the submission would otherwise come in-house to the agency. So those types of pre-submissions and pre-submission meetings have been mutually beneficial for the manufacturer as well as for the agency in terms of even understanding some of the novel and innovative technologies that are being developed. Now, Suzanne, you mentioned earlier about some common myths regarding medical device cybersecurity and the FDA. One of those myths, or maybe it's not a myth, you can clarify. One thing you often hear is that FDA's cybersecurity guidance is voluntary and therefore not enforceable. True or false and why? We do hear that a lot, and I want to take a step back and say that where that comes from is all of FDA guidance says on the top of every page, these are non-binding recommendations. But it's important to understand that guidance serves as the how-to in order to meet certain statutory or regulatory requirements. And in that manner, it's non-binding. In other words, A manufacturer has the option to come in with another approach, an alternative approach, in order to meet the regulatory requirements of the statutes. What we're providing in our current thinking in the policy framework is what we believe to be the best approach to use, but we are always open to seeing another approach. So the myth that cybersecurity is not enforceable by the agency, that it's purely an option or recommended, that is a myth. We ground the guidance very specifically in existing regulation and specifically the quality systems regulation. And that cybersecurity is part of that comprehensive risk assessment just as one has to do for any other aspect of that medical device in the process of its development and then again throughout its life cycle. So the crosswalk is there in terms of explaining how the QSR as a regulatory framework serves to meet the guidance's statements about cybersecurity. And again, I'll just emphasize, manufacturers 
they have to comply with federal regulations, okay? And the QSR, the quality system regulations, require that manufacturers have to address risks across the board, all risks, and that includes cybersecurity. Suzanne, at HIMS, blockchain technology was sort of a hot security technology that we heard a lot about. And there was some chatter that FDA is actually looking or exploring blockchain technology and how it might be applied to improve security of medical devices or security of information sharing. Anything you can tell us about what FDA is interested in when it comes to blockchain and what you might be doing there with that? So we're always open to hearing and absorbing and being part of conversations and these types of discussions about new technologies that could be utilized or could certainly be integrated in our ecosystem among our regulated industry. As to commenting upon uh, whether that's something, that technology, blockchain specifically, is one that we are looking to, to further encourage or to bring on, that isn't something that we can really speak to at this stage. And finally, Suzanne, when it comes to the FDA and medical device cybersecurity looking ahead, what should we be watching for next? What is FDA planning maybe for this coming year? And also, does the new administration have much impact on any of the planned activities at this point? If you think about last year, 2016, as a year where we at the agency really dug deep into developing our policy framework in issuing both the draft and the final post-market guidance, I'd say that our focus and our targets for 2017 and going forward in 2018 as well is getting adoption and implementation of that guidance across the ecosystem because we introduced some very novel concepts and ones that we know for different stakeholders may represent areas of initial unease or just discomfort because it is so new. So what we're focusing on is really campaigning on identifying those practices and those models that have been in the public domain that can be pointed to as models of excellence that we believe will slowly but surely bring on um, others who recognize the value add and the benefit of participating, whether, again, it's in the ISAO environment, whether it's also in the adoption of disclosure policies and the participation in timely coordinated disclosure. These are the basic tenets, the basic principles that we focused on in the guidance. And um, instead of seeing a small group uh, of champions, of leaders among manufacturers at the beginning of 2017, we'd surely like to see in the next 12 months more and more adoption and that it should become more mainstream with respect to how vulnerabilities are managed. That's on the post-market side, and as far as pre-market, I expect that we will continue to see with our ongoing outreach and engagement more and more manufacturers come
come to us with pre-submissions and we encourage and welcome their interactions with us so that we can help the entire community move to a better place. Thanks, Suzanne. I've been speaking to Suzanne Schwartz of FDA. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.